You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. Aaron Rodgers is the biggest story in the 2023 NFL season. People are curious. Every time we stage a live event, could be one across 10 different sports that we promote. That's our product. 4.6 million women are already sports betting in the U.S. Digitization of ticketing has made things more transparent in some ways and less transparent in others. One of the coolest things about rugby, it's the same rules for men and women. Golf is a sport you can play well beyond your years, unlike any other. You don't have college athletics anymore. You have young people playing professional sports. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. Michael Barr is off this week, but on the lineup today, football officially back. Thursday night marked the official return of the NFL season as Michael Barr's Detroit Lions upset the defending Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, for an incredible start to their season. That's right, Scarlett. And Monday night, Monday night, we're going to get a first look at my New York Jetties. And of course, our new quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. And of course, I will be at MetLife Stadium watching live in person. Don't call me on Tuesday morning. But let me not get too far ahead of myself later in the program. We'll get an outlook of all the major headlines entering the NFL season with former Oakland Raiders CEO, Amy Trask. I have a bold prediction as to a Super Bowl winner. It's an interesting prediction. I'm sure I will take a lot of flack for this prediction. I think the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. The princess of darkness herself. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, we head to the raceway. The IndyCar season wraps up a successful season this weekend in California. Viewership is on the rise, and so too is fan interest. So here now with insight into the sport and, of course, its future... We welcome Penske Entertainment President and CEO Mark Miles. Mark, it's so great to have you join us today. Hey, thanks, Scarlett. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. So talk to us about how the 2023 IndyCar season has been going so far. It Everything kind of culminates this weekend. Yeah, our, our finale race is at Laguna Seca, you know, in the Monterey Peninsula area. It's a fabulous place to get all of our uh, team members and sponsors and everybody together for the, the last event. This is the first time since I think like 2008 that the championship points race, you know, which is the sum of all the points from all the competition that a driver has during the calendar year, it's been concluded. Alex Blow, a uh, Spanish driver, a young guy, has had a phenomenal year. And last weekend at our race in Portland, he clinched it. So it's a little different for us, but, and, and we've sort of made our mark knowing that, uh, 
almost always the championship goes down to the very last race. And in my tenure, it's come down to the last lap. So it's been really exciting in that way. Yeah, but I mean, no shortage of controversy surrounding the end of the season. I mean, Mark, talk to us about Alex Pillow. Talk to us about, I mean, wasn't he supposed to leave Chip Ganassi for McLaren? I mean, we've had Zach Brown on the show before. Talk to us a little bit about what's going on there. It, it, it smells a little similar to F1 with all the drama. Yeah, and, and it, look, Zach's a good friend, but there's a commonality, right? Zach's an F1 and an IndyCar. It's been public and controversial. It's really the kind of off-track, largely behind-the-scenes contractual stuff that's gone back and forth, where Zach Brown and McLaren announced that he was going to come race for them. Chip said, not so fast. He's under contract with me. Alex sort of, you know, he was kind of in the middle. And uh, and it got very public. And there's no clearly no love lost between those two teams <laughs> for principles. And then, uh, you know, Alex clinched the championship last weekend in Portland and announced that he was definitely staying with uh, Chip Ganassi for next year. Just prior to that, uh, Zach Brown had announced that uh, he was going to sue Alex because uh, he felt like he'd breached a contract. So, who knows? I'm sure someday uh, it'll all get sorted out as to exactly what the chain of events was. But it appears quite clear that um, Pelo will run again for Chip Ganassi Racing next year. Mark, just to follow up on that, I mean, you know, we talk about all the differences between F1 and Indy, but, you know, this demand for tier one elite drivers, I mean, that seems to be a commonality throughout, you know, throughout, you know, both organizations. Talk to us about. You know, but the Penske team, talk to us about Scott McLaughlin, Will Power, Joseph Newgarden. I mean, are there going to be any changes as we look ahead to next year? Or is that not something you can disclose at this stage? Team Penske is run separately uh, from what I do with the Speedway and the league, if you will. Um, but I'm pretty close to those guys, and it, it appears quite clear that uh, all three of Roger Penske's or Team Penske's drivers will come back and race for him again next year. And uh, it is fun. I mean, I, I love being around all these drivers. They all have like in any sport, different personalities and, and all. But what's really fun is when you get close to them behind the scenes and you can see how they're teammates, but they're also all over each other. And that takes different forms. But, yeah, no, I think the Team Penske guys are terrific, and I think they'll be back next year. I'm glad that you had brought up Formula One because I think about Formula One and I don't know a whole lot about auto racing, but uh, Drive to Survive has been a big hit on Netflix and has introduced uh, racing to a lot of people who – didn't really appreciate it. How has that changed demand for your on-air product over the years, and how do you expect that to play into and factor into talks uh, for media rights going forward? Yeah, I think it's a positive. It's brought more people into the sport. We've never at IndyCar felt like we're running against Formula One. They're both the, the leading examples of open-wheel racing. We have a bigger audience share in in total audience in the United States. They're much bigger worldwide. And so I think it's a healthy competition in a sense, but not something we, we sweat. What's really happened through Drive to Survive is they brought new young people into the sport, and, and I think that's good for all of us. We've been growing in America for the last several years, and I think that's helped Formula One in some ways. And then their growth, in part, fueled by uh, Drive to Survive. What has surprised you about the new audience, the younger audience that Drive to Survive has attracted to the sport? I mean, how are you making, I don't want to say changes, but how are you adapting what you offer to appeal to this new audience? 
Well, we had our own unscripted or docu-series last year called 100 Days to Indy. Mm-hmm. There were six episodes, the first half of the year, so to speak, up through the Indy 500. It was a little bit the same style, except that ours was, they'd shoot um, from week to week to week and race to race, and then they'd air right after a race. So it was more contemporary. And we felt like it had a really helpful effect on our live race audiences as it generated its own audience for the behind-the-scenes look at drivers and their families. So we averaged about 550,000 people per episode watching 100 Days to Indy. We had not yet had international distribution. That'll be announced that we do for season one, and then that'll grow from there. So Drive to Survive is in its sixth or seventh season. In the first year, we were really happy with 100 Days to Indy, but what's common to both of them is that it brings in younger audiences who want to understand the the personalities in the sport, and that, of course, is good for all sports. Well, Mark, the metrics speak for themselves, right? I mean, you had the highest domestic viewership since 2008. I'm talking IndyCar. You know, you had 8 of 14 races, surpassing an average of 1 million viewers per. I think your attendance across the 17-race season is up more than 20% this year. You know, I want you to dial it back. Talk to us about how you started as CEO of the Association for Tennis Professionals, how you brought the Super Bowl to Indianapolis in 2012. What's it going to take to continue that type of growth, that type of marketing, that type of brand recognition for the NTT IndyCar Series? It's, it's similar in some ways to tennis. They're both kind of challenger leagues in this country. Tennis is more established internationally. When I was involved, probably 85% of the revenues of men's professional tennis were from outside the U.S., so... An American fan's view of the state of global tennis was never very accurate, if mm-hmm. that was their perspective. Um, and in this case, with, with IndyCar, it's a bit the same. We, we now have a really good media partner with NBC. So, you know, 14 of our 17 races in the U.S. are on network, and that's, they've been good promotional partners. It's, they've got great reach, and they've helped us uh, uh, continue every year to grow our audience. So... That was the trick with tennis was, you know, growth strategies, not trying to to create some quick kind of inflated uh, spurt of growth, which you're then subject to losing. And uh, and I think we're on the right track. I, I believe, you know, our, our media rights are up for relicensing. NBC has our has our rights through 2024, but we'll be in the marketplace yet this year, beginning to look for what the future looks like. That could well be NBC, but. There's a lot of interest, and we're looking forward to the the marketing process. Damien mentioned the domestic viewership. Something you're looking at, of course, is broadening out IndyCar and IndyCar racing to um, overseas markets, including the possibility that you might uh, stage a race in South America. And and this could happen as soon as next year? Yeah. So the strategy is that we don't want to be Formula One in terms of the way they they really do race all around the globe. It's a very international circuit. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is be the dominant North American open wheel motorsports uh, series. So we're going to run our championship in North America from Canada, maybe Mexico, and predominantly in the United States. Those points races will go from March through this time of year. And then when college football and pro football gear up, we'll have concluded the championship. But that leaves the fourth quarter of the calendar year. And we think there's real demand and opportunities, a strong fan base, particularly in Latin America. So we won't award points, but there'll be prize money events. And I could see us running one and then maybe two, maybe three races abroad in the, in the fourth quarter of the calendar year if it all works out. 
that's good, especially if we can do it like we're talking with Argentina right now, no secret about that, for what could be October of 2024. That is a time zone that's helpful still for keeping uh, U.S. fans mm-hmm. uh, you know, invested in the series. And that's one of the considerations we'll look at when we look at other opportunities. Mark, one of the things that really worked well um, for the Association of Tennis Professionals and, and building tennis more broadly was, as you mentioned, the right partners. But really in tennis, it was about getting those like stable partners, you know, like Mercedes, for example. Talk to us about the partners that you currently have at, at, at IndyCar. You know, I mean, who are the big partners? Who are the big you know, proponents of the sport? And who do you see, you know, getting involved on a forward basis? Yeah, the ATP, we made a deal, I think, in like, 1995 with Mercedes, and I think that lasted 15 years or so. It was really important to the, the growth of that sport. And in IndyCar, you know, we've added 20 brands in the last uh, three years. Our average tenure or length of a relationship with a sponsor is uh, way over 20 years. And the big brands are brands including Firestone, NTT, Shell, and Pennzoil. Uh, Verizon is heavily invested in the sport. So we had some big brands and some big consumer brands and they help us both promotionally and they help us uh, in some of the cases with technology development, which especially around being better at translating the amazing data that comes off a car and turning it into content, presenting it to fans in a way that they, they get it. It's a big opportunity and I think we're just scratching the surface, but we've got the partners to help us take it, take it to the limits. Sounds like you've got a wide open road ahead of you. Mark, really appreciate your joining us today. Charlotte, Damien, thank you both very much. That was Mark Miles, president and CEO of Penske Entertainment. It's a unit of Penske Corporation, which owns the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the NTT IndyCar Series. Up next, we preview the NFL opening weekend with former Oakland Raiders CEO Amy Trask. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. I'm Damien Sassauer, along with Scarlett Fu. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio around the world. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY.
Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Scarlett Fu, along with Damian Sassauer. Yes, the NFL season is finally here, and we've got a lot of headlines to go over, including one Aaron Rodgers, the superstar quarterback, making his regular season debut with Damian's New York Jets. And already we're seeing the boom in merch sales as Rodgers trails only Patrick Mahomes for the most player branded gear sales so far this year. That's right, Scarlett. Aaron Rodgers did suit up already for the team in preseason. In fact, that was the very first time he played in a preseason game since 2018. Here's the new Jets quarterback talking about how he felt stepping onto the field at MetLife Stadium. That's some butterflies for sure. I think that's that's always normal. First time I strap it on, it's, it's kind of the, the standard, whether I'm in year one uh, playing San Diego Chargers or year 19, you know, preseason number four. There's, there's always uh, some butterflies when you step out there for the first time. A vulnerable Aaron Rodgers feeling butterflies. Just one story, of course, heading into the NFL season. But we want to get into a lot more with our friend of the show, Amy Trask. She is the former CEO of the Oakland Raiders. Remember the Oakland Raiders? She's an analyst at CBS Sports and author of the book, You Negotiate Like a Girl. Amy, welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. It is an absolute honor and pleasure to join you. Thank you for having me. Amy, there are plenty of, you know, storylines heading into this NFL season. I mean, we can talk about Aaron Rodgers to a blue in the face, but let's talk about your once Oakland, now Las Vegas Raiders. Let's talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's talk about Josh Jacobs finally signing. I mean, huge. Talk to us about their chances. I think we have Denver this weekend. Well, I think the Josh Jacobs signing is of tremendous, tremendous importance. And you're talking right now to a girl who believes in the running game and while a lot of people don't prioritize the running game, you got to remember that the running game helps the passing game just as the passing game helps the running game. Football is math. It's 11 on 11. And if you have a dominant running game, if you have a running game with someone like Josh Jacobs, that's going to take defenders away from pass rush, away from thwarting the quarterback and what he's trying to do, thwarting the receivers and what they're trying to do. So if you simply look at it in terms of math, signing Josh Jacobs is of tremendous importance. And of course, it's beyond the math. So I think that Josh Jacobs uh, back with the team is of, of paramount importance. As to Jimmy, we're going to see. I believe there's a difference between a quarterback with whom you can win and clearly you can win with Jimmy. We've seen that over the years. And a quarterback to whom you can turn on the sideline and look at and say, you just got to figure out a way to put this team on your shoulders and find a way to win. We don't know yet if that's Jimmy because Jimmy has won a lot of games, but with a tremendous, tremendous team behind him, he hasn't been the sole reason for winning. So we're going to see what he can do when the moment comes if the team has to turn to him and say, figure out a way to get this done. Well, Amy, I just want to keep you focused on the Raiders here because, you know, just this week, you know, um, you know, obviously we talk about the offense in, in, in Las Vegas, but we got to talk about the defense, Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, Chandler Jones complaining about not having access to the gym on Instagram, then deleting the messages. I, I'm, I'm trying to get my arms right. I mean, are things, is, is there something off there? I mean, I mean, what's going on? Well, it struck me 
that that was a moment of frustration for Chandler. He was frustrated. He wanted to get into the facility. He aired his frustrations publicly, which, you know, not a great idea. And then he rethought that and and took down that which he shared publicly. Look, we all get frustrated at times, but as Herm Edwards, the former coach, said, just think before you hit send, so to speak. Um, I don't know if there's something more going on with Chandler, um, but clearly he was frustrated and hopefully it gets worked out. So, Amy, I've got to ask you, of course, we talk about the strategy for winning on the field. Damien's all over that. What about the strategy for building a successful NFL team? How has that evolved since you were running the Raiders? Uh, it evolved. It's evolved tremendously, tremendously. And um, you are very, very kind to be letting me do this without being on camera um, because of my fear of cameras, which I know is odd for someone who now is on television <laughs> to say. But the reason I note that is if you could see me right now, you would see my ear to ear smile when you say you were running the Raiders because there was this guy named Al Davis, <laughs> a, you know, a little bit of a reflection as to who was running the Raiders. But you're absolutely right. It has evolved tremendously. The economics of the league, the finances of the league are far beyond what they were during my years in the league. Um, And there's 32 teams. And putting aside the Packers, because they are not owned by an individual, but by a collection of individuals, 31 teams owned by 31 different ownership groups, and they are each run differently. And the reason I note that is Some owners delegate more responsibility and more authority than do other ownership groups. But at the end of the day, when you are the owner of a business, you have ultimate responsibility and ultimate authority. And even if you delegate that, you can take back that delegation at any time. So, you know, the business is different now than it was 10 years ago. But at the end of the day... 31 owners, and they each run their teams very differently. Well, more and more, we see finance guys owning football teams. I wonder how that changes the way that they build out their leadership. That, of course, is a spectacular question. And you're absolutely right. As the prices of teams go up and up and up, given the league restriction as to ownership, who may own, how much you have to own, having one controlling owner as it's denominated by the league, we are seeing more and more finance people getting involved. And you are right. When you are putting and committing that amount of money Mm -hmm. to purchasing a team, fair enough, if you want more involvement, maybe you want to delegate. But with that amount of money involved, maybe you want to retain more authority and more control. And the league is going to have to take a look at some point at those ownership rules and restrictions, because the pool of people who can afford to pay what teams are now valued without incurring more debt than league debt ceiling limits allow, that pool grows smaller and smaller. Amy, your former Oakland Raiders are now based in Las Vegas. And if I'm not mistaken, looking ahead to February 11th, 2024, (laughs) Super Bowl 58 is set to be held in Sin City. My birthday, my 50th birthday is on February 11th, 2024, I I think the Jets are going to be there. I mean, should I book my tickets now? <laughs> Talk to us about what's going on. Aaron Rodgers, tell us a little bit about what you're, what are you feeling there? First of all, it's your birthday. So book the tickets. Uh, it's a CBS <laughs> Super Bowl this year. 
So I will be there. And if you are there on your birthday, I will treat you to ice cream. So how about that? Uh, as to Aaron Rodgers, I'm reminded this offseason of the Brady Bunch. And I don't know how many of your viewers and listeners remember the Brady Bunch, but there's this episode where the middle child, Jan, is so annoyed by how much attention the older sister, Marsha, is getting. She says, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> and all offseason with the discussion of Aaron Rodgers, I've had that in mind. Aaron, 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 we are hearing so much about that. Of course, it is Aaron Rodgers, who is a tremendous quarterback playing for the New York Jets. So it's going to gather a lot of attention. I'm very, very intrigued to see what happens. I think we are going to see the best Aaron Rodgers with one caveat that I'll give you in a minute. The reason I think we will see a magnificent Aaron is because he plays very, very, very well with a chip on his shoulder. And I think he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. Now, that said, they have got to protect him. Pass protection <laughs> has been an issue this offseason, this preseason. Assuming they can get pass protection worked out, I'm very excited to see what Aaron can do. And maybe you'll be celebrating that on your birthday with me treating you to ice cream in Las Vegas. Amy, that's a date. I just got to ask you, have you been watching Hard Knocks? I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, a lot of people believe that Aaron Rodgers has been sort of misrepresented by the media during his stints in Green Bay. I mean, does your view of him change at all after um, watching Hard Knocks or hearing about it? Well, I didn't watch a lot of Hard Knocks. It was the summer. I was at the beach a lot. I didn't watch a lot. Um, as to my view of Aaron, and, and I did watch some, but as to my view of Aaron, um, I don't think it's a simple view. I don't think, you know, I don't know that you necessarily paint any one person with one brush. Look, I went to Cal. Aaron went to Cal. So I have followed Aaron since college, and I think what we've seen is watch him emerge. We've seen a lot of different aspects of him. And look, people are multifaceted. I do think there's a lot of different sides to Aaron, and I think we're going to see an interesting Aaron this year with, with the Jets. Amy, you mentioned that you went to Cal. Um, you got your BA at UC Berkeley. Uh, you got your law degree at USC, but obviously you're partial to um, Cal. I, I got to ask you, what do you think about the implosion of the Pac-10? At this point, Cal and Stanford are going to end up potentially in the ACC, which is going to make life really difficult for all those athletes. You know, you raise a phenomenal um, topic um, I kind of want to cry, but I'm going to mm. hold myself together and answer your question. Um, look, when I went to Cal, it was the Pac-10, not the Pac-12, but I will quickly note it was not the Pac-8. I was a kid when it was the Pac-8. Um, and it's, it's the end of an era. It really is. Uh, UCLA and USC were the first to break away, and then we saw the rest of the conference splinter. I don't like the idea of schools requiring their athletes to make the sort of trips we are talking about when you reference the ACC and its distance from California. Yeah, that's crazy. Look, it's one thing when you're on the football team or even the men's basketball team, they're taken care of well when they're on yeah. the road. They're often chartered flights and, and they are well tended to on the road. But what, what about the other sports? What about women's volleyball? What about men's lacrosse? What about rowing? What about water polo? These, and I'm going to use this in quotes because I think it's time that a lot of people stopped using this expression, student athletes. Mm -hmm. When you are putting, quote, student athletes on a commercial flight across the country 
to return on a commercial flight, which may be dramatically delayed, which may be canceled, and you expect them to get their studies done and be back in class the next morning, maybe to take a midterm or another test. You know, people throw the expression student athlete around, and I am bothered by that because what we are seeing here in many regards, including Cal and Stanford going to the ACC, makes a mockery of the concept student athletes. You are not giving these young men and young women the best opportunity to be the best students they can be. Now, all of that said, I am thrilled that Cal and Stanford are sticking together. Stanford had more options than did Cal, given the debt Cal has associated with its stadium. Mm -hmm. So that Stanford stood with Cal is very meaningful to this Cal grad. You know, Amy, I mean, I just have to say, you know, we talk about student athletes all the time. And I, I think back to when you and I last spoke about a year ago, when NIL was really just getting going and the impact in just a year that it's had on, you know, not just, you know, college football, but college sports writ large, you know, within the context of Las Vegas, your former Raiders team hosting the Super Bowl. This is the gambling mecca of the world. <laughs> gambling is legal now. You have Calvin Ridley, who sat out the 2022 season for betting on NFL games returning. You have another receiver, Jamison Williams, suspended for a number of games. Like, what is going on there? What are your thoughts about sports gambling and the impact it's having on today's student-athletes in the game itself? Well, you're touching on a topic that's very near and dear to me. This has changed dramatically over the years. As I often share, when I was in the league, we were the first team to put on our website anything related to fantasy football. Now, it wasn't a gambling portal. There was no link to gambling. <laughs> it didn't allow gambling, but it provided information about fantasy football. We posted that on Raiders.com. As I mentioned, we were the first team to post anything like this. And within minutes, just a couple, couple minutes of posting that on Raiders.com, my private line rang. I picked it up, and it was an executive from the league office who said four words. Amy, take it down. And look where we are now. I was told take down non-gambling information about fantasy football, and now gambling is just, it's, it's all the heck over the place. The one that bo bothered me the most this offseason was the discussion of players gambling on non-football, but from a team facility. And what makes no sense about that to me is if you are a player, and you are allowed to use your phone to gamble on a non-football sport as long as you're parked across the street from the facility. Why in the heck are you being punished if you do the same exact thing from the parking lot of the facility or the lobby of the facility? I do understand the needs for gambling integrity um, rules, rules relating to gambling integrity, but some of these are just silly. If you're a player who can use your phone to place a bet on a non-football sport from across the street, why the heck are you going to get punished from doing it from your parking lot? So you have issues with, we're dealing with the potential issues of players uh, gambling on sports. What about the front office? People who work for the organization. I know there are, there are rules set up, but I mean, you if you're in Vegas, you work in Vegas, this is a professional sports hub. You can't walk anywhere without those those odds in your face. Every single person on a team staff, and I shouldn't say this for every organization, I can just share from my experience in a team building for almost 30 years, pretty much everybody knew everything about 
who was injured, who might play, who was doubtful. Even before injury reports were made public at the time of week that they are made public, people know what's going on. My point being, when you are on a team staff, whether your role is general manager or receptionist or customer service agent, no matter your role, you know the buzz within the building. You do have access to that information. So the rules absolutely must be the same, irrespective of whether you're a player or a coach or on the front office staff. Are you surprised there's no, we, we are, we're not getting headlines about um, any staffers uh, with gambling violations? I'm not surprised that there's no headlines, if and to the extent there have been violations. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people are less interested in headlines about um, someone who's not a player, players, Those are sexier headlines. You know, you referenced Vegas. And, you know, there's a saying in the law, not only may you not do something improper, you must avoid even the appearance of an impropriety. And one thing that has struck me about Vegas is you could be a player who has done absolutely nothing wrong. You have gone by the rules in every imaginable way. But now it's the Friday night before a home game, and Fridays the players have an earlier out time from the facility. So here you are, a player for um, the Vegas Raiders, and it's Friday night, and you decide to take your significant other or someone special to you out to dinner. And you pick a really nice restaurant that happens to be in the lobby of a casino, because that's where a lot of nice restaurants are in Las Vegas. And as you're walking to dinner, a fan stops you and says, hey, can I take a picture with you? And the player does exactly what the team in the league want that player to do. Sure, I'll take a picture with you. And he poses with the person. And it just so happens that in the background it says sports book. Now, this player has done absolutely nothing wrong, done absolutely everything right. But now it comes Sunday, come game day, misses a block, misses a tackle, drops a pass. People are going to point to that picture and assume that there may have been an impropriety, even when there wasn't. So I think that not only does uh, the team in Vegas have to worry about improprieties, but the appearance of improprieties. All right, Amy, I have to ask you the most important, the elephant in the room, the most important question from where I sit. I mean, we've got a lot of storylines. We hit on a few of them. We have Sean Payton now in Denver. We have the Chargers hopefully healthy for the first time in a while. KC as well. KC. You've got Cincy. You've got Buffalo. You've got Philly. Who's going to (laughs) win the Super Bowl championship in February of 2024? Your opinion. You raise great points as to every team you just referenced. And I will note as to your point with respect to the Chargers specifically, yeah, they have got to find a way to stay healthy. They have had more significant injuries over the last three years. If you accumulate, you know, you you add all those injuries, 2020, 2021, 2022 together, it's staggering. So whether they need to go find crystals or chakra or something, they got to find a way to manage those injuries. Um, and teasing about crystals aside, they did make a, a change at head trainer, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I have a bold prediction as to a Super Bowl winner. It's an interesting prediction. I'm sure I will take a lot of flack for this prediction. I think the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. Oh, America's team. Well, I don't know about that, but yeah, I'm, and I'm teasing because I do know that that's what they're called. It's just not what I call them. <laughs> You know, I, I have to I have to say, Amy, that is a bit of a bold call, but I like what you're where you're going there. I mean, Tony Pollard now has command of that backfield, their receiving core. I mean, C.D. Lamb. I mean, Dak Prescott's now a few years after that major injury. So and the defense is the defense. So, you know, we'll see. But um, but God, you know, Jerry Jones, Dallas, whew, you know, it's it's. <laughs> 
It's one of those places and, where, you know, if you're not performing early, uh, <laughs> things can go south in a hurry. So I, I hope you're right. I'd love to see that happen. Um, well, and I think that, um, you know, you mentioned the defense. I think Micah Parsons, um, assuming he stays healthy, yeah. and, and I sure hope he does, he could have a tremendous year. Amy, it was so good speaking with you. Thank you for joining us. It is absolutely my honor and pleasure to join you. It is, it's a thrill for me to do so. Thank you for having me. Amy Trask, former CEO of the Oakland Raiders, currently an analyst for CBS Sports and author of the book, You Negotiate Like a Girl. Coming up, we wrap up the show with former NFL offensive lineman and current director at Verdance Pro Wealth Advisors, my good friend, Nola Montaigne, as we talk about the importance of teaching pro athletes money management tips. That's up next. You are listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Damian Sassauer. We are welcoming back an old friend of the show, Mr. Noel Lamontagne. Noel is a director at Verdance Capital Advisors, focusing on their sports and entertainment business. Verdance Pro. He's going to be joining us to take us through some of the big money headlines as we head into the NFL 2023 football season, as well as some college football and more. So, Noel, welcome back to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Amy and I appreciate it. And yeah, we get the we get the one on one conversation today. Look, it's uh, it's amazing. We've got 53 man roster cuts in the NFL, you know, and we've had some big moves um, ahead of that. Obviously, we know about Josh Jacobs finally signing in Las Vegas. Um, that big trade with Trey Lance to Dallas. I mean, let's start with the Jacobs signing. I mean, what does that mean for Jonathan Taylor, who I guess has to be the next suit job? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I believe that. Um, Christian McCaffrey still is the is the high watermark in the running back market. 
And I think on paper, his contract is worth somewhere around $16 million a year. The, the, the 49ers, from what I understand, because it was a traded contract, actually value it at less than that, around 12 and change, only right. 12 and change. You know, so Jacobs got a little bit closer to that number than Saquon did in New York when he kind of signed that modified one-year uh, franchise tag contract. You know, Jonathan Taylor's in a tough spot. He's obviously one of the best at the position in the league, if not the best, but he still has that one year remaining um, on his contract with Indianapolis. And, you know, not only does he have to have a, a trade partner that's going to offer the team what they want in order to give him up, but he's got to get somebody that's actually going to be willing to pay him what he thinks he's worth uh, from a market deal standpoint. So it's a really, really tough needle to thread quite frankly. And, you know, if he was a quarterback or maybe an elite wide receiver right. or something along those lines could be a little bit easier, but you know, that running back position has just become a really difficult one to, uh, you know, to raise your kids to play at this point, because it just <laughs> does not seem like they get the respect that they deserve. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, even the Delvin Cook, but I mean, you make a good point here. This Jacob signing, what does that mean for, you know, going forward for running backs in their negotiations? Um, because Saquon signed ahead of camp or just at the beginning of it, and uh, Jacobs held out and he got paid more. So what does that mean for running backs going forward, right? I mean, talk to me a little bit about Trey Lance. I mean, this is an interesting one. Trey Lance was the third pick overall just a few years back to San Francisco, and I think they traded him to Dallas for a fourth round pick. I mean, what must what must Zach think here? <laughs> Listen, I think that Zach's probably been Zach's probably been in the situation where he he understands the business, and you got to you got to continue to to produce, especially down in Dallas. You got to win you got to win big games, um, and those are in the playoffs, and that's what that's what Dallas prides itself on. So he's getting a little bit of back pressure. You know, he probably wants a contract extension or a new deal down there in Dallas, and Dallas is saying, "Hey, we're going to bring in somebody that can push you a little bit." For Trey Lance he's going into a totally different building, totally different situation. He's got to figure out if he can win that number two spot down in Dallas yeah. to even be the guy that's pushing Dak, you know, and then obviously up in San Francisco, I mean, that's a, that's a crazy situation because you, you put all of that draft capital into getting Trey Lance just a few years ago. The narrative of first round quarterbacks panning out, not panning out. I think that's a relatively tired narrative. So it's not necessarily the biggest surprise that, that a guy who was drafted really high didn't end up working out the way everybody thought. But the amount that the 49ers put in to get him is obviously staggering. They get back, I think, a fourth-round pick from Dallas, which, hey, at least they got something. But on the flip side, if they've got their franchise quarterback in Brock Purdy and they get him at the very end of the draft, I mean, I don't know. Can you necessarily say <clears throat> that San Francisco loses out? Because now you've got a guy who – could potentially put you into the playoffs, put you into a Super Bowl, and, you know, you got them for virtually nothing. Well, no, I mean, the question for me really is, if you just look at, and I hate to do this, you know, you look at, um, at you look at you look at quarterbacks like assets, right? And you look at your return on investment, right? And from what I can see very, very clearly, it's these rushing quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, uh, Anthony Richardson now, you know, Fields, who have a, I don't want to say higher return on investment, but a quicker return on investment relative to, you know, the Jordan Loves or some people who don't have the mobility, although Jordan Love does, that's a bad example, but you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, um, like the Zach Wilsons of the world, I guess. So, you know, so it's kind of interesting um, what you're talking about here, and I wonder how that changes things going forward, but, you know, just, you know, shifting gears on you a bit here, I know you were just down in uh, in South Florida, you know, uh, you got a big mm -hmm. whiff of what's going on <laughs> at Inter-Miami, 
you know, with Leo Messi. Uh, and, you know, now I don't know, um, you know, if this is even, you know, going to happen or is happening, but Mo Salah to the Middle East for, I mean, what amounts to $220 million a year on top of potentially a $160 million transfer. I mean, the numbers are just staggering. I mean, what is going on? And I mean, this billion-dollar deal with Messi or whatever it is, I mean, what is going on with soccer worldwide? I grew up in eastern Pennsylvania, which is which is very much football country. You know, got the opportunity to play football at the college level and then at the pro level. Uh, at the pro level in Cleveland, which is for sure football country, even though it might not always be the greatest product on the field, those fans are unbelievable. The world stops when that guy goes out on the pitch <laughs> down in South Florida. The world stops. I mean, every single person in the hotels and the restaurants, they're, they're glued to the screen. So when you just look at the dollars and cents of it, it, obviously every single one of those viewers is exactly that. I mean, those are transactions. Every single set of eyes, those are transactions. They're selling memorabilia. They're selling tickets for way more than what they were worth before. I mean, I think if you've got the pool of money to be able to bring in these superstars that, that transcend borders, you know, this is a guy who has essentially never set foot over here and he comes in here and he changes the MLS landscape overnight, they're going to see the same thing over there. And you make these investments, if they're going to bring in the money and they're going to bring in the fans and sell the merchandise and get people watching things on TV, um, you know, I think for these ownership groups, it's it's a no-brainer. It's the same thing that we see stateside in the NFL. I mean, whatever you can do to be associated with with those big ticket items uh, from a viewership and fan base scenario, they're going to do it. Well, no, I have to ask you this. I mean, because it's so fascinating. Al Ittihad, you know, the Saudis, et cetera, they want to they want to draw what is effectively the number one, you know, Middle Eastern, you know, and you know, Mosul is Egyptian uh, soccer player. You know, you know, they want to draw them in, right? And they're willing to pay for it. And you know, let's let's kind of compare what just happened here in the U.S. with the PGA, right? I mean, we just had the FedEx Cup. You know, uh, Victor Hovland, you know, outlasted Scheffler and McElroy and. To win that, but yep. I didn't realize eighteen million dollars for winning the FedEx Cup. Okay, and then plus uh, a, a three point six million dollar payday. I'm talking Victor Hovland year for winning last week. I mean, Victor Hovland just took in a quarter of a you know twenty five million dollars in you know less than a month. I guess that's just you know is that not enough in today's day and age? You start to wonder what's the breaking point. You know where where is the point where there's a diminishing return on this because the numbers the number's just going up. So somebody in some accounting office somewhere is sitting there telling some executive somewhere else that, yeah, this makes sense. These numbers check out and let's do this. These teams are willing to cut their losses if they see good money going after bad. But if they see the opportunity to make money, they're going to they're gonna obviously jump all over that. And that's what I think you see happening in, in Saudi Arabia. They're seeing opportunities to, you know, to create sponsorship dollar opportunities and bring in corporations and you know, you're paying for these, you know, these luxury experiences where where any individual is willing to come in and spend millions of dollars in order to entertain clients or prospects or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, it it is just amazing to see the pool of of cash that is being distributed and the different ways that it's going. And you have to assume that anybody making this big investment, they've got to be seeing some type of a tremendous upside in order to be committing this type of capital. 
Nolan, you see that each and every day at Verdance. I mean, you're managing wealth for, you know, pro athletes. Um, you're helping them with their advisory decisions and what have you. You know, you know, before before I lose you here, you know, I have to ask, you know, this news about Baker Mayfield into his handling of personal assets is is pretty scary. I wonder if you could just comment briefly, tell our audience a little bit about it. I mean, and 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 what have you learned from that? You know, it's still, and obviously it's a private matter. Now it's gone public because it's because the news has gotten out there and he's discussed it a little bit and, and he's put it out into the, uh, I guess, into the lexicon or whatever the right term would be. I mean, listen, for, for our clientele, the biggest thing that we that we focus on is, is transparency. And we do a tremendous amount of due diligence. I mean, we're dealing, we're dealing with people's finances. We're dealing with their money. Um, and we're helping them figure out the best way to grow and preserve their wealth to be able to look at these deals and and think about what we were just talking about. You're, you're talking about digging into multi, multi, multi-million dollar opportunities. You don't just blindly get involved in those types of things. You know, they're not just blindly investing in the PGA. They're not blindly investing, you know, in these soccer stars and bringing them in and, and not having it make sense on their end. It's got to be the same thing on the client side. And as advisors, that's what our role is. It's to help rip all of the, you know, all of the cover and all of the tint and all of the, you know, the things that, that hide what the facts may be with respects to any investment, help them understand what's going on. For Baker, what's scary is, is that my understanding is, is that they're, they're inquiring into how I think it was around $12 million in assets was handled, which given Baker's situation, I mean, that's, it's probably around 20 some odd million, 24, 25 million in earnings mm. that accounted for the $12 million in invested assets to wonder how that was handled. Was it handled appropriately, inappropriately to not know that when that $12 million gets deployed? Mm. Yes. So you can look at the advisor, you can look at the people that are handling in the investments, but these clients also have to demand the transparency. They have to request, they have to want to know what's going on and to educate them. And again, I full disclosure, I don't know the whole situation here. Um, you know, I haven't had this discussion with Baker as people or anything. So I'm also on the outside looking in, but it is alarming to me, whether it be this or it be, you know, a number of years ago, we hear about the, the, the jewelry investment that, that Drew Brees made where, you know, he ended up suing his advisors for, you know, some multi-million dollar jewelry investment. And you hear about the Clinton Portis stories. I mean, these things keep popping up. And the scary part is, Damien, that they don't seem to be stopping. And the same narrative continues to trickle through where, oh, I didn't know, or I wasn't aware. Well, you've got to, you've got to structure your advisory team and the people around you in a way that you are the captain of the ship. You need to, you need to be aware. You need to know these things. You need to ask these questions. Not after the fact. Going into it, you need to do this. Yeah, there's no excuse for pleading ignorance. <laughs> I, I agree completely. Noel, not uh, with not with that much money involved. Not, not with sure, that much money. In, exactly. Exactly. Noel, thank you so much. Noel Lamontagne, director, Verdant's Capital Advisors. Thank you for joining us here on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Appreciate it, fellas. Great, uh, great conversation. This was the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We'd like to thank our guests this week. They include Penske Entertainment President and CEO Mark Miles former Oakland Raiders CEO Amy Trask and Verdant's Pro Wealth Advisor Director Noel LaMontagne. And of course, thank you for listening to us this week. I'm Scarlett Fu. You can follow me on X at Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damian Sassauer. You can follow me on X at D Sassauer. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big money in the world of sports. You are listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports show from Bloomberg Radio around the world.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.